This class is part of the Lessons in Tanya project. More classes available at LessonsInTanya.com Major funding for this Tanya class is provided by the Mettel Corporation. Additional funding is provided by Tanya students like you. Lessons in Tanya The Tanya of Rabbi Schneir Zalman of Liadi Taught by Rabbi Ben-Zion Krasniansky Tanya's text elucidated by Rabbi Yosef Weinberg We are letter number 7, page 120 The 7 is beloved All 7s are beloved this is a very special, special letter. Once again, the uh, children chose this letter. Children of Alter Rebbe chose the letter. This is a fundraising letter. This was actually written a year before the Alter Rebbe was in prison. And he was collecting money for the Jews in Israel. And this is one of the reasons why he was arrested. And because the purpose of the Tanya is... is the understanding and the learning, that's why the, the children, when they put this part of the Tanya into the Tanya, which is after the Alter Rebbe passed away, they took out the beginning of the letter, the end of the letter. Usually a letter starts out with greetings. All, all these letters, they start with the point, you know, and takes out all the beginning and the end of this letter is also taken out. It's, it's the body of the letter, which is something that needs to be studied and to be understood. And he starts on the... On the what we say every morning in the davening, in the introduction to the davening, before we say the Shema in the davening, in the beginning, in the introduction of the davening. Asherenu, matayv chalkeinu. Fortunate are we, how good is our portion. How sweet and pleasant is our lot. And then he says, Chulu, it continues, how beautiful is our inheritance, but that's not what he's going to focus on in this letter. In this letter, he's going to focus on these two items, chalkeinu, and the Goyer Oleinu. And he's going to say where this passage of the davening is based on. It's based on Psalms, Psalm 16. Where David HaMelech says, And Hashem is my portion and my cup, with which I receive my portion. And Hashem is the, the portioned lot. The lot that has fallen, with sweetness. So this is, Hashem is my lot. So we see these two t- uh, terminologies, Hashem is my portion, and Hashem is my lot, and he's going to explain what these two expressions mean in relationship to the divine, to Hashem. What do you mean, Hashem is my portion? What do you mean, Hashem is my lot? Elsewhere, it's explained the Hasidus what this means in relationship to the soul, to different portions of the soul. There is a part of the soul which we can say a portion of the soul, and then there's a level of the soul in which is referred to as lots. And simply, the difference between a portion and a lot is like a lottery, a portion is 
for example, two partners own a piece of land and they choose to divide it. Or a business, they choose to divide it. So you divide it rationally, logically. You're going to take this portion, you're going to take this portion, this makes sense, you get this portion, you like this portion better, this, this is better for you, and this portion is better for you, and you come to an agreement and everyone is happy, you divide it into portions. So that's something that's logical, it's rational, it makes sense. Then there is a lot, you draw a lot, a lot is not rational, a lot is there's no rhyme, there's no reason, it's not logic. You drew the lottery, you won, you won, bingo, you won, you won the lottery. So that shows something that's beyond rational understanding. That's a simple explanation. He's going to explain, he's going to ask what does it mean in the relationship to the divine, and he's going to explain it. So let's begin. Page 120, letter number 7. All sevens are beloved. Fortunate are we, how good is our portion, how pleasant is our lot. This prayer which is recited as part of the introductory morning prayers preceding Hodu, we offer thanks to Hashem for our portion and lot. His self-revelation to every individual Jew. These same terms appear together in a similar context in the following two successive verses. Hashem is the allotment of my portion and of my cup. You support my lot. Vagoyimer, etc. is after... You support my lot. The one in brackets. He's translating the Hebrew letters. He doesn't quote it directly. He just says etc. So he's referring to it. So he says lot. So he says both portion and lot. And then he continues. The tracks of portion by lot have fallen to me pleasant. Yea, I have a goodly heritage. These verses together indicate that the Jews' pleasant portion and lot is an irradiation of, of godly light. The question, however, arises, why is the godliness that illumines our souls referred to by both terms, both as our portion and as our lot, when portion can refer to any one of several identical benefactions, when lot indicates something which is granted exclusively to a particular individual who wins a lottery, for example, having been chosen by lot. So portion could be many portions. You divide it up amongst many people. But a lottery, there's one lottery winner. Someone hits the jackpot. There's a portion, and then there is, that's connected to everyone, and then there is a lot, which is individual. Very specific, and very and very individual. In order to understand the terms of our portion and our lot, it's going to say it doesn't make sense to use the expression portion when it comes to the divine, the godliness. Hashem is not something that could be divided into portions. It says, God is my lot, a portion. Hashem can't be had in portions. Hashem is godly, Hashem is infinite, Hashem is one. So what do you mean, I have a portion of Hashem? And this is an expression that we find many times, after Rebbe continues. One must properly explain a common expression in the teachings of our sages of blessed memory. For example, he has no part in the God of Israel. This is brought down in the Medrash. The Rebbe says we find this, the Alter Rebbe says this expression is common in the words of the rabbis. But the, this particular expression, he has no portion, is only actually mentioned once. What is common is the expression, no portion, no lot, no portion in the God of Israel. But it's not in the singular, they have no part in the God of Israel. Um, you have no part in the God of Israel. 
but he has no part in the God of Israel. Is only mentioned once without the Rebbe for obvious reasons. Doesn't want to quote the other, the other um, times it's mentioned because there it's like direct. You have no portion in the land of Israel, or they in the plural. So he uses the least offensive expression. He's very careful about the expression he chooses. He, some individual somewhere, has no portion. But nevertheless, this expression is common. No portion in the God of Israel. So what do you mean a portion of the God of Israel? A piece of the God of Israel. God is not in pieces. How do you get a piece of God? Now it would seem that a term like part cannot possibly be applied to Hashem because He is not divisible into parts, having to time. Hashem is the ultimate and simple and uncompounded unity, the very antithesis of divisibility. Nevertheless, we find that our sages here use the term part in relation to Hashem. How can this be? We must perforce conclude that though Hashem himself is indivisible, the godly illumination that descends into Jewish souls can be described with the word part inasmuch as it is revealed in part, so to speak, as shall soon be explained. So when it says that the Jewish people have a portion, a part in the God of Israel, or Hashem is, we say every morning in the prayer, Hashem is my portion, and Hashem is my lot, as King David says, in the name of the Jewish people, the, we're referring to a, re, a revelation of godliness. So God himself, of course, has no parts, but in the revelation of godliness, there we can talk of, of God's parts. And that's what he's going to explain, he's going to begin to explain now. The concept can be understood by considering a verse concerning Jacob, and he called him El Hashem of Israel. The Rebbe now goes on to explain the meaning of the verse in order to answer a number of simple questions. A. Until the verse, the name Jacob is used consistently, why does this verse suddenly change to Israel? B. How does this conclusion of the verse relate to its beginning? And he set up an altar. C. What is noble about the Epithet, El Shem Israel. Kale, God, the God of Israel. There is actually two ways to interpret this verse. Rashi says what this verse means, God called to Yaakov, about Yaakov. God called Yaakov the God of Israel. That's how Rashi interprets. God gave Yaakov the name God. Other interpretation is that Yaakov called God, after he built the altar, he called God, he named the altar after God, the name the God of Israel. So it's like a rep- it seems like a repetition. God, the God of Israel. Why does he say God, the God of Israel? What's he coming to say? What's he coming to add? So he says, Peter, the meaning of this verse, because he's not following Rashi's explanation. Rashi's explanation is that Hashem called Yaakov the God of Israel. That's what Rashi says, that because, because Yaakov was so one with God that he called him, he became one with God, that he called him, this is Rashi, the simple explanation. That's what Rashi explains. Because that's how it reads literally. Yikra is referring to God called to him. God called upon him. God called him, referred to him as a Kelel Ke Yisrael. But here the Alter Rebbe says, Pirush explanation, he's following the other explanation. That Yaakov called God 
he named the altar after the God of Israel. Kale, the God, the God of Israel. In order to understand this, he, he starts explaining the term the way Hashem is always referred to by the Chazal, by the rabbis. HaKadosh Baruch Hu, The Holy One, Blessed Be. What does this mean? The Holy One, Blessed Be. It, holy and blessed represent two different things. Two opposite. Holy represents something that's holy, that's transcendent, that's separate, that's beyond, above. Baruch, however, represents something that's drawn down below. Baruch is like Avrech, Berkayim, your knees, you bend your knees, you're bending down, you're lowering yourself. There's Harkava and there's Hamavrich, Hamarkiv. There's grafting and Hamavrich, you bend the twig and bend it into the ground and then another, another tree grows from that. So it's bending down, it's bowing down. They call Joseph Avrich, lower down, bend down because everyone bend their knees to him. So it's about drawing down. Kaddish is, God is above, lofty, transcendent, above. And Baruch means God is drawn down. It seems like a contradiction. So he says, no. The truth is, it's exactly as the name says. HaKadosh Baruch Meaning, that God is truly drawn down. God is truly here, everywhere. As the Zohar says, there's no space empty of God. And yet at the same time, he's transcendent. It's a paradox. It's a contradiction. God is truly here, but at the same time, he's transcendent. Because even though he's truly here, and yet he's completely transcendent from us. We have no example for that. Nothing in our world, nothing in our universe. We don't have any example. We could relate to the idea of something transcendent, and we could relate to the idea of something drawn down. For example, take a brilliant teacher who has so, his mind is so above and beyond his students. Now he has to teach his students. So he has to relate to them. He has to connect with them. So he has to come down to their level. So you can say that there's two parts. The teacher himself is transcendent, is above. The students don't even have a clue, can't even relate to his mind, the way he's thinking on his own, the way he's operating on his own level. He's, he's operating in a different dimension. They can't even relate to the things that he's thinking about and things that engage his mind. It's just it's a different universe. So that part of the teacher is transcendent. But the part that the teacher gets into the playground with the students and plays with them and speaks in their language and on their level, that's, God, that's like the teacher is, is, is drawing himself down to their level. So you have both. You can have, simultaneously, you have a level which is transcendent. And at the same time, you have a level which is drawn down. But that's not, that's not a good example. Because it's two separate things. The part of the teacher that's completely transcendent from the students is really transcendent. He's not drawn down. 
That part, the students have no clue. They can't even imagine that it even exists. That there's such a level of thinking, such a level of comprehension, and such a brilliant and deep level of understanding. They have no clue. They don't even know it exists. The level that they do get, that that they understand and they grasp, that's the only part they get. So it's two separate things. Here we're saying, HaKadosh Baruch Hu, God is simultaneously. He's Baruch. He's drawn down. He's here. And at the same time, He's transcendent. In the case of a teacher, it's like two different worlds. The students don't even know about that there is such a thing. So that, that level of a teacher is not there. He's not with the students. Even if you want to use another analogy. The teacher teaches the student. The student senses that there's such a depth there. Sometimes you hear a concept just blows you away. You don't fully understand it. The little you do understand, you take in, but you just have a feeling that this is, wow, this is a concept which is going to take me a year or two to really digest this concept. I really have to study this and read about it and think about it. This is like so over my head and so beyond anything. I never heard anything like this before in my life. You know, it's like the first time you learn in Hasidus, there's no other reality but God, that nothing exists, and all there is is God, and there's no ego, there's no I, there's no world, all there is Hashem. It's like, you know, you never heard that concept before. How is it? It, doesn't even, it doesn't even make sense, but you sense that there's such a depth there, and there's such, it's going to revolutionize your whole way of looking at things and thinking and perceiving reality. But, but when you first hear it, you just, you just sense that there's such depth, infinite depth there. It's beyond you. You can't grasp it. You don't understand it. What does it mean? How is it possible? How does it, how does it make sense? But you have a sense. You have a feeling. So there's a part that you get, and the rest, you have a sense that there's a depth here that's way over your head. But at least there, you have a sense. It's, it's above you. In Hasidus, it's called, it's like makif. It's, it transcends you, it's above you, but you sense it. So there, maybe you can say, you have both at the same time. You have the sense of something deeper, of something that's infinite to you, that something is beyond you, beyond your vessels, beyond your ability to grasp. But you, you, you sense it. And then there's the part that you can digest and you do understand. So you have both together. You have the level of Baruch, which you're understanding, and then you have a level which you sense that there's something here that's transcendent. But that's not either a good enough. Because when you sense something that's really above you, it surrounds you. What that means is you don't have it. It's not, you haven't internalized. It's not you. You, you. you can't grasp. It's not within you. It's above you. There are things that affect us, but in a transcendent way. But they affect us, but in a transcendent way. We don't internalize it. Take, for example, light. So it's light. The sun is shining. The world is lit up. And suddenly the sun is gone and it's dark, pitch black. So what happens when there's light? Did the earth internalize the light? 
the earth now became a shining object? No. And the proof is, once the light is gone, it's pitch black. So the earth remains pitch black. It's just that the sun is this light that's coming from above, it's just illuminating. But it's not part, it hasn't become part of parcel of the earth. It's something that's transcendent, it's something that remains beyond. So even when it's there, it's not internalized. The light does not internalize. The earth does not internalize the light. It's there while it's shining. You can see and it affects. But the effect on the earth is transcendent. It has a transcendent effect. It's not internalized. That's why it shines equally in a palace or in a garbage dump. To the light, it doesn't matter where it's shining. If in a billionaire's house or, or in a hovel, or, it doesn't matter. The light is, transcends the individual space. It's not about the space. It's about the light. So that's what we call a something that comes in a way of makif, in a way of in a transcendent way. That's the difference in light versus when you internalize something. You know, when you, when you take water from a reservoir, you take that water, you've taken a piece of the reservoir. So that's something that's that you've you've internalized, you've taken it to you, you've internalized it when you drink the water, but when light is something that's above you, it transcends you. So the effect that it has on you remains transcendent. Even when it affects you, the light itself is transcendent. So the light is not in the earth. The light has not been internalized in the earth. So it's, it remains two separate things. The part that's transcendent remains transcendent. It has not been internalized. And the part that you internalize that part you've internalized. So we say, HaKadosh Baruch Hu, that at Hashem is simultaneously Kadosh and Baruch. And we say, who? It's the same one, it's the same time, simultaneously, it's HaKadosh and Baruch. We don't just say HaKadosh Baruch. HaKadosh Baruch Hu. He, it's the same, simultaneously is Kadosh Hu, and simultaneously is Baruch. Meaning that Hashem is everywhere. It's not that Hashem is transcendent. Hashem is in heaven. Hashem is otherworldly. Hashem is in a different place. In some infinite place, in some transcendent, in heaven somewhere, in the seventh heaven. People like to send God to the seventh heaven. <laughs> God is up there, way. Oh, this world is too messy for Hashem. This world is too grubby, messy. God is in the White House. God is in Washington. God is in the... Uh, come on. This world is run by us. God is in some pristine, celestial palace, heavenly, beautiful mo- mo- uh, abode. No. The rabbis say, HaKodesh Baruch Hu. Hashem is everywhere. There's no space empty of God. Hashem fills everything. The upper, the lower. There's no space empty. Hashem is totally present right here and now. It's not up there. The light, that transcendent, the light is not here. It illuminates here, but it's not really here. It hasn't internalized. It remains separate. When the student senses it as a depth, but he hasn't internalized that depth, that depth remains a part of him, separate from him. It's like Hasidus says the difference between a servant and a student. The relationship between a servant to a master and a student to a teacher. 
The student is learning wisdom from the teacher. So the teacher gets into the student. He gets into the student's mind. gets into the student's head. The student internalizes the teacher. So he's internalized the teacher. The master, however, the master commands the servant to do something. So the servant obeys the master. He knows that this is my master and he's greater than me and I have to obey him. And he listens and obeys the master and follows his command. So of course the master has an effect on him. But it's a transcendent effect. It's not internalized. He doesn't understand what a master is. He doesn't understand the master. He's a servant. But he obeys. The master has an influence on him. The master will command him to do something and he'll do it. It's like within the body. Our willpower. We can will ourselves to do things. We will our arm to do things. Of course, our will is everywhere. Our will is the master. And our body will obey the master. Whatever we want to do, we're going to do. But it doesn't mean that the will is everywhere. The will has not been internalized. The willpower hasn't been internalized by every organ in the body. The willpower is separate. It's above. It's transcendent. But the willpower is king. It's the master. The willpower says you move, you move. You want to put your foot in hot water, you have willpower. If you have willpower, you put your foot in hot water. So the willpower is powerful and it's, it's dominant and it's the master and every part of the body is, 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 um, is nullified before the will and will listen to the will and will do whatever the will wants. But it's the influence is a transcendent influence. The willpower itself is transcendent. It's not really, it hasn't really become internalized. With, with the willpower. It's not like the brain and the mind. With the mind, the brain is internalized. The idea and the concept. But the willpower is transcendent. Willpower has no specific organ. Willpower is everywhere. But it's, it's in a transcendent form. It's not internal. So there's no human analogy that we can think of where you can say... That it's transcendent and it's internal at the same time. Only Hashem. That's what makes Hashem unique. Hashem, that's why God is God. HaKadosh Baruch Hu. It's the same who, who at the same time is Kadosh. But at the same time he's Baruch. He's not transcendent. It's not only that God is above and we listen and we obey. And God is the Almighty, the Omnipotent. And this. No, there's no space empty of God. God is here. God is everywhere. Totally here in us. So at the same time he's transcendent and at the same time he's Baruch. This is unique Tasha. This is Jewish faith. Our belief in the very personal God. God is not there. That's why a Jew, whatever he does in his life, how are you doing? Baruch Hashem. Thank God. How's business? Thank God. No good. <laughs> but everything is thank God. <laughs> because God is not a there in heaven for the Jew. God is not some abstract, transcendent beauty, art, music, poetry, mysticism, religion, theology, philosophy, heaven, meditation. God is here. God is right here. God is in the post office. God is in my business. God is in my health. God is everywhere, totally 
present. There's no space empty of God. This is what's unique to the Jewish people. This is what's unique about Yiddishkeit. Who sensed this contradiction? It doesn't make sense logically, but it's the reality. This is Jewish faith. HaKodesh Baruch That's why the rabbis always refer to Hashem, the Holy One, blessed be He. It's such a powerful statement he's explaining it. HaKodesh Baruch He's Kodesh and He's Baruch at the same time. In truth, the Holy One blesses me is true to His name. On the one hand, the phrase Holy One in the Hebrew original Kadosh implies that Hashem stands above and apart from creation. Why blessed be He, where the Hebrew Baruch blessed also means to descend and be revealed, implies that the levels of godliness, which previously was holy and apart, they interact here. In the phrase called is drawn down into the word in a revealed manner, as will soon be explained. Though he permeates all the upper and lower worlds, from the peak of all levels to this lowly corporeal world, Hashem permeates and is present to an equal degree in all worlds. So when he says over here he permeates all the upper and lower worlds, he doesn't mean the way we studied it in the first part of the Tanya, that there's three levels. God fills the worlds, God transcends the worlds, God's essence. But here we mean literally that God fills all the worlds, that God is everywhere. God is literally everywhere. There's no space empty of Hashem. And therefore He fills all the world. He is present. He is here. There is nothing else. So if there's anything, all there is is really Hashem. So Hashem is here, here and now. In each and every one of us, here and now, in time and space, in this world, in every part of the world, the most material, in the lowest of all the worlds, in the highest of all the worlds, Hashem is equally, totally and equally present. It should be noted that the term permits all words used here does not refer to the degree of contracted godliness that is generally said to fill all the words according to their individual capacity to retain it. Rather, here the altar rabbi refers to God, God's permeating all words to a equal degree. As it's written, do I not fill the heavens and the earth? We find two verses. It's one verse, Jeremiah, God says, I fill the heavens and earth. I, who am I? God's essence fills all the heavens and the earth. Not only God is transcendent. Transcendent means it's not here. It's transcendent. Like in the, in the human analogies, transcendent means it's not here. It's in a different dimension. But God says, I am fill all the worlds. I'm not, I'm not transcendent in a different dimension. I am transcendent in this dimension. I am right here and I fill all the worlds and all reality, heaven and earth, the highest and the lowest. On the other hand, we find a verse in Isaiah that the whole world is filled with His glory. And the explanation is that the... It means only His glory fills the world. Because here He's talking about, you're right, His glory. His glory is like a, rim, a glimmer, a ray, just the glory of Hashem, not Hashem Himself, so to speak. So His glory fills all the worlds. That's the level that we call Mamalukalam, that He fills all the worlds according to their ability to receive. Just like within the human body, we have the different faculties of the soul that fill the different organs according to their capacity. The mind, has the brain has the capacity for the mind to feel, to comprehend, 
So therefore, it fills and is a vessel and becomes a vessel and a vehicle for the soul's ability to comprehend and the heart becomes the vessel for the soul's ability to feel emotions. Every individual organ is, is custom made, the eyes to see, every individual organ is custom made to receive that particular energy that fits that, um, that uh, particular organ or being, individual. So that's what the verse means, that the glory of God fills all the world. Only the glory of God, that the God's ray, a glimmer, fills all the worlds based according to their individuality and their ability to receive. But the first verse that says, the other verse that says, I, Hashem, fill heaven and earth. There, we're not referring to Hashem's glory, we're referring to Hashem's essence, Hashem Himself. And Hashem says, He fills the heaven and the earth equally, and I fill all the earth. I'm not transcendent, out there, up there. I fill all the earth. There's no space empty. I, my very self, mean Hashem's very being and essence as it, it were, and not only His glory. In another verse, we find the earth is filled with His glory. The verse alludes merely to the glory and radiation of godliness. Here, however, the w- words, I feel, refers to God's very essence for all words. Now, although Hashem Himself permeates and it, it is, is to be found in all words, he is nevertheless holding the sense of apart from the upper and lower words, and is not all contained in them. Heaven for them. That's what's unique, that although Hashem fills all the worlds, but nevertheless Hashem is holy. That's what's unique. And even though Hashem fills all the worlds, nevertheless He remains apart. He remains transcendent. He is not contained in them. It's not like the body and the soul. The body contains the soul. Not only does the body contain the soul, the lower levels of the soul, but while you're alive, your soul is connected to the body. You can't take off, the soul can't take off, exchange bodies. It's not like taking off a suit, putting on a suit, exchanging bodies, taking a break, putting it in the closet, coming back later. The essence, your essence of your soul is connected and associated with the body. And the body affects the soul, the body-mind connection. Of course, the soul affects the body. But the body also affects the soul. The body is hurting, it affects the soul. Because they're connected, they're affected, they affect each other. Since the body is is able to receive the soul, so it's defined by the soul. And the soul is defined by the body. And it's connected to the body. It's affected by it. Hashem, however, fills all the worlds. Heaven and earth is completely fills all the worlds. It's not transcendent. And yet he's not affected by it. That's a paradox. That's a contradiction. That we don't find anywhere in the universe. That's only Hashem. Could be simultaneously Kadosh, simultaneously transcendent. And at the same time, he remains completely unaffected by the world. Completely untouched unaffected by the world, not defined by the world, unaffected. And yet his essence that remains unaffected completely fills the space, time and space and all of the worlds. Is here, is present, here and now, right here, before us, within us, all around us. In the rest of the universe, 
we were discussing till now. Anything that's transcendent is really in a different place. If it's transcendent, it means it's not here. It's above. It can have an influence. Light is transcendent, but it has an influence. It can illuminate. It remains transcendent. The light is not affected by the area that it's illuminating. It doesn't matter if it's illuminating a palace or it's illuminating a garbage dump. But it, so it has an influence, but it remains detached. It remains transcendent. It remains lofty above. So it's not here. It's not internal. But the Hashem, Hashem is present, fills all the worlds, heaven and earth, and at the same time it remains completely transcendent and above. And that's why we don't sense Hashem. Although Hashem is here, right in front of us, all around us, there's no space empty of Hashem. And not only Hashem's glory fills the world, Hashem himself, his essence fills the world. Hashem is right here. His whole essence. And yet, it completely eludes us. We don't sense it. We're like blind, deaf, and dumb. <laughs> we don't sense Hashem. We don't feel Hashem. We don't see Hashem. We don't, we don't hear Hashem. Not because Hashem is not here. Hashem is right, right here. We can't see it. Because we don't have the vessels to see it. We don't have the... It's like for us, we can't see the forest from the tree. Because we can't see... It's staring us in the face. Most of us that remove your glasses or your lenses, you can't see anything. It's, it's right there. It's not hiding. It's right there, but we can't see. We're like completely blinded. <laughs> it's not that Hashem is hiding. Hashem is not hiding. Hashem is right here. Present. Totally. Totally present. Totally here. Radical presence. Radical imminence. Right here. In His entire essence. And yet we can't see. We can't see. We don't hear, we don't see, we don't feel, we don't... Because we don't have the capacity. Not because he's not here. You know, whatever we can't see, we say it doesn't exist. That's the scientist said. If it doesn't fit into my laboratory, if it doesn't fit into my... What was the scientist who made it, decided that there's, there's no fish? He was fishing with a net, and the holes of the net were an inch. He couldn't catch a single fish that was, that, was, uh, that was smaller than an inch. So he decided there's no fish in the ocean that is smaller than an inch. <laughs> he he, the proof is he's fishing and he couldn't find a single fish. He's been fishing for days. Fish. Yeah, because the net that you're using <laughs> has holes that are a little too big to catch a small fish. We don't have the tools to sense. We're blind to the obvious. Hashem is so obvious, Hashem is so here, Hashem is so real, Hashem is so palpable, Hashem is so tangible, Hashem is so before us, in front of us, here and now, actual, imminent, real. But we don't have the tools, we're like, huh, what, when, where, Hashem, who? But Hashem is here, but Hashem remains transcendent, unaffected by the world. As it says, He is the place of the world, but the world is not His place. He grasps the world. He contains the world, but the world does not grasp Hashem. does not contain Him. We don't have the tools to sense and to pick up and to even feel and to sense Hashem's presence, Hashem's reality. What about doing prayer? If you do have a, a sense of Hashem and your ability to... Oh. So that's, how what he's going to, that's what he's going to discuss, how Hashem wants us to be able to sense His presence. And that's what he's going to discuss, the meaning of HaKadosh, HaKadosh Baruch Hu.
that Hashem allows us and is enabling us to be able to sense somewhat something of His presence, a portion. That's what a portion refers to, the ability to sense something of His presence. Hashem enabled us, and He's going to explain in the letter, how Hashem enabled us to be able to sense something of His presence. To get an illumination, to get some sense that something of His, of his presence. He's nonetheless holding in the sense of apart from the upper and lower worlds and is not at all contained in them, heaven forbid, in the way by analogy that the soul of man is contained in his body and is affected by the changes within it. Unlike the soul, Hashem is not at all affected by the worlds in which he is to be found, as explained elsewhere at length. This is what's unique about Hashem. On one hand, he fills the body, he fills the world. Totally. is present. Completely fills. And at the same time, he's not affected by it. And we don't sense it. He remains transcendent. The soul fills the body. When the soul fills the body, the body grasps the soul. It's a two-way street. The soul fills the body, and the body also grasps the soul, and the body affects the soul, and the mind-body connection, and influences the soul. But here, Hashem is, fills the body and fills the world, and yet Hashem remains ungraspable. Hashem is beyond our grasp. He remains. He contains us, but we can't contain Him. We cannot affect Him. And we can't change Him or affect Him in any way. It's difficult for us to comprehend this because we have no analogy for it. It's not within the human capacity. It's not within... Only Hashem could be simultaneously completely transcendent and at the same time completely fill and be present literally in every cell, in every corner of the universe, in every cell, in every atom, be totally present. And yet, He remains transcendent. We can't grasp Him. He eludes us. Why can't we say that it's just the life-giving force of Hashem that fills the world? Because that's, that's Jewish faith. There's no space empty of Hashem. That's the whole discussion we had, and thank God you can listen to it already in uh, Lessons in Tanya. The second portion of the Tanya, chapter 7. Very, very fundamental, fundamental chapter. It explains the whole foundation of the Hasidic movement. The classical argument between the Baal Shem and the Vilna Goin. The whole understanding of Tzimtzum. Hashem is present or Hashem is not present. Hashem is present everywhere. There's no space empty of Hashem. The Vilna Goin says, no, Hashem is not present. Hashem contracted himself. And the only place to find Hashem is in Torah and Mitzvah. And Hashem said, no, Tzimtzum is not literal. Not only is it not literally in relation to Hashem's essence, not even literal in relation to Hashem's glory and light. Hashem's infinite self remains infinite. And we can find infinity in everything, like the modern physicist today finds infinity even in the atom, in the tiniest, vindicating the Hashem approach. Because there's no symptom for Hashem. Hashem. Hashem is totally, there's no change for Hashem. Hashem is totally present. Infinitely present. His infinite self is present. His essence is totally present. There's no symptom. There's no hiding. There's no concealing. This is a fundamental idea. And therefore you can find Hashem in everything that you do. Not only studying Torah and doing mitzvot, but also as you go about your daily life, Hashem is giving us messages constantly. Everything is by divine providence, the tiniest detail. Hashem permeates everything. You can sense the divine in everything that you do, in your eating, in your drinking, in your sleeping, in anything, in everything, in your business. 
Hashem is everywhere. This is radically, fundamentally changes your whole approach to life if you understand this concept. But it's a simple faith. As Horace says many times, there's no space empty of God. The verse says clearly, I am, it means literally, I, God, fill heaven and earth. God says, not my glory fills heaven and earth. I fill heaven and earth. My essence fills heaven and earth. Filling mean, does not mean transcendent. Filling means I fill. Like the soul fills the body. But at the same time, he's a Kaddish. While he's filling, he remains transcendent. This is only Hashem. And should be fill, totally be present and fill, and at the same time be transcendent. This is, this is Jewish faith. To say that we totally understand it? How could we understand it? We have no frame of reference. We have nothing to relate it to. We can't even connect with all the analogies that we discussed earlier. Is the transcendent part and the part that's internalized are two separate parts. We don't have anything that simultaneously is present, fills, and at the same time is completely, remains completely transcendent and unaffected and above. But it's Jewish faith. This is simple Jewish faith that every Jewish person has. Hashem is everywhere. Hashem is here. Hashem is there. Hashem is truly everywhere. Up, down, right, left, all around. There's no place empty of Hashem. And that's why whatever a Jew says, Baruch Hashem, every turn, every turn in your life, thank God, thank God. Hashem is everywhere. You sense Hashem everywhere. The simplest people sense it. The greatest people. It's just, it's like matter of fact. It's a natural instinct that every Jew has. Hashem is everywhere. That's why Hashem is always in a Jew's lip. Whatever happens in your life, you're always mentioning Hashem. Not only when you're going about your holy life, doing Torah, mitzvah, doing holy things, writing a check for tzedakah. You're going about your daily life, your mundane, regular daily life, and yet Hashem is always on your lips. That's a sign of a Jew. Because of Hashem's essence. Hashem's essence is present. There's no hiding, there's no concealing, there's no symptom, there's no limit. Hashem is right here. If we don't understand it, but we sense it, we, it's a gut instinct. We know it in our kishkes. This is Jewish instinct, this is Jewish faith that we're born with. Do we understand it fully? No, but it doesn't change the fact. Do we understand electricity? No, but, we, but it's a fact. Put your hand in the socket, you know. <laughs> we don't have to understand things to know that it's there. A lot of things we don't understand. Quantum mechanics, we understand it, but it's a reality, it's a fact. It's a reality. Hashem is. Hashem is. It's a paradox. Hashem is, and yet He's totally transcendent. He's totally fills, is present. He fills the heaven and the earth. Filling is the opposite of transcendence. He's not transcendent above and like the willpower that dominates and commands and is above the master that has an influence on his, on his servant, but he remains above, apart, separate. No, Hashem says, I fill. I am present. I am here. And at the same time, he remains completely transcendent, unaffected. This is, this is Hashem. Hashem is Hashem. There's only one God. Only one true reality. One absolute reality. Completely paradoxical and defines, defies human imagination, even divine imagination and conception. And he combines heaven and earth. Hashem fills the heavens and he fills the earth. And even the earthiness of the earth and most materialistic parts of the earth. There's no space empty of God. Every amoeba, every atom, every cell, every part, there's no place. Hashem is here. Everywhere. And of course it radically changes your life. If you really believe Hashem is everywhere, Hashem is right here. Yes, demands a different type of life. (laughs) 
Yes, you have to change your life. You can't just live. You have to start living a Jewish life. Hashem is here. Hashem is really here. That means I got to do something about it. I can't get away with it. Hashem is not up there, abstract, in heaven. Rosh Hashanah, Yom Kippur, Shabbat, holy days. The day I get married, I'm standing at the wall. Holy moments, special privilege moments. No, there's no... 24-7, Hashem is here. It's reality. It's me. It's my nature. It's core. It's essence. It's Yes, so yes, it's a, it makes radical change and shift. My whole life becomes connected in a Jewish life, in a godly life, in a good life, in a wholesome life. So it's very demanding, yes. It's very empowering. Demanding. Sometimes a little frustrating. <laughs> you have to have Hashem so close up, 24-7, it's not, it's not easy. <laughs> <laughs> it's easier if you, you send Hashem up to heaven. Up in here, you know. Once in a while, I'll knock on your door when I need you. Or <laughs> but Hashem is here and now and present. This means, this demands action. This demands change. This demands movement. This demands, has to wake you up, activity. This demands Mashiach. This demands something real, real change. This demands redemption. This demands reality. But this is the truth. Hakadosh Baruch Hu. That's how the rabbis always refer to Hashem. He's Hakadosh. He fills all the worlds, and yet he remains Kadosh. He's transcendent. While he fills all the worlds, he remains transcendent. But like you say, Hashem wanted us to be able to relate to him. The fact is, we can't. He eludes us. We can't sense it. We can't relate. We can't. We can't. He wants us to relate to him. And that's why from Kaddish, he draws down, Baruch, he draws down from the level of Kaddish. And that's what we're going to learn. He draws down a level where we could somehow relate and get some sense of Hashem's transcendence, of Hashem's presence, transcendent presence. <laughs> it's a paradise. That's what it is, Hashem's transcendent presence. For this reason, i.e., since God is entirely distinct and apart from all worlds, they could not receive their life force from His being, an essence in itself, as it were. Rather, the diffusion of the life force, whereby the Holy One, blessed be He, animates the upper and lower worlds, is, metaphorically speaking, like a radiation shining forth from His name. God's name is itself a mere radiation, since Hashem eludes us, Hashem remains transcendent. Therefore, the only way Hashem wanted us to be able to relate, to connect, to be able to sense Hashem, Hashem's transcendent presence, somewhat. So therefore, Hashem illuminated us, gave us a, a, a glimmer. But it's a glimmer of a ray, because it's a glimmer of Hashem's name. Even Hashem, a name is very external, very superficial. A, a name is like a light in comparison to the sun, the light of the sun. The light of the sun in comparison to the sun is meaningless, is insignificant. It means nothing to the sun, adds nothing to the sun. Whether there is a light, there isn't a light, doesn't take away from the sun. So a name is completely external, superficial to the person. Do you need a name? Could you live without a name? If you're missing a name, your paycheck is going to be less, you don't have a name, what... what? You're not missing anything. Your name is not, doesn't add anything, doesn't mean anything. 
name is not part of you. It's not you're missing a finger if you don't have a name. It's not a part of you. It's completely external, superficial. You know, last names were just invented uh, 150 years ago. People lived thousands of years without last names. So who needs a name? You live in the shtetl, you know, yankle the hunchback and schmettle the, the cooper, you know, and embeddle the tailor, and everyone had a nickname. You know, the nudnik. Uh, yeah, the, everyone had a nickname, and that was it. Yeah, so your name. So names are very external, superficial. You don't need a name to survive, to live. But even Hashem's name is also transcendent, because it's infinite. Just like God is infinite, His name is also infinite. So even the name is too powerful, too intense for us to receive directly the illumination of his name. So we need an illumination of his name. Not a, the name is like a, a, an illumination of God himself. It's only a ray of Hashem. But even the ray of Hashem is too powerful, too intense, it's infinite, and we cannot, eludes us, we, can't, we cannot receive it. So it's a glimmer of a ray. A ray of a ray. A ray of Hashem's name that we can receive that we can handle, that we can absorb and grasp. God's name is itself a mere radiation. From it there emanates yet another radiation. For he and his name are one. For which reason a ray that emanates from his name is able to animate the various worlds. So even the, uh, the name is one with Hashem. The name of Hashem is also infinite. The infinite light. And therefore we cannot receive the infinite light directly. It's only when a light, a glimmer, a glimmer of a ray, the glimmer of this ray, that we can receive, that we can absorb. But the, the reason why the glimmer of the ray could animate us, because Hashem and His name is one. Hashem's light is a reflection of, of, of Hashem. Just like the light of the sun. The light of the sun is inseparable from the sun. The light of the sun reflects the sun. The light of the sun conveys all the properties of the sun. That's why from the light you know the sun, what the sun is. That's why it's light. Because the sun is a ball of fire or hydrogen or whatever. Uh, hydrogen explosion. And because of that, we get a reflection of the sun, the heat and the warmth and the light we get from the light. So the light reflects the sun, conveys something of the essence of the sun, something of what the sun is about. So too, Hashem's infinite light, since it's a reflection of Hashem, so therefore it conveys Hashem, it conveys the properties of the source of Hashem. So it conveys Hashem, therefore it has that ability to give life. It has that ability to give life because it's really divine. Even Hashem's light is also divine. It's godly. It's not separate from Hashem. So it has all Hashem's abilities of creating and sustaining and illuminating and, and the divine light. So because Hashem and His name are one, therefore when we receive a glimmer of this ray, we're receiving a glimmer of the ray. Hashem's ray, Hashem's name, and Him and His name are one. So therefore we're receiving that life-sustaining divine energy, divine light. So we're, sent, we're getting something of the infinite, something of godly, something that's divine and godly. So even the lowest levels of a Hashem, so to speak, a glimmer of a ray also has all the qualities of Hashem. It's Hashem. It's infinite, it's divine, it's godly, it's 
and therefore it could animate us, illuminate us, and give us a, a, a vitality, a, a, a divine injection of light. Thus it is written, for even his name alone is exalted, i.e. God's name is exalted alone, standing apart from all the worlds which it transcends, while only his reflection and his splendor are on the earth and the heavens. Thus all of creation exists from but a radiation God's name, which is previously mentioned is itself merely a radiation. So it's like a, a reflection of a reflection. So we are a reflection of a reflection, a glimmer of a ray. And even that glimmer is too intense for us. Even that glimmer of a ray is too intense for us. As we're going to learn next week, has to go through a whole bunch of gradations and steps, almost infinite amount of steps in order to be able to reach our level, our very finite and limited level. So there's so many levels beyond us. You know, today with what we know in science, astronomy, you know, we can get a sense of the grandeur of the, the greatness, the vastness and the greatness of the universe and how we're like so tiny and so, the universe is so beyond us. But, and all of this is merely the glimmer of the ray. <laughs> we're at the bottom end of this glimmer. <laughs> So this whole vast, gigantic universe that we can't even begin to fathom. We just get it's just breathtaking just to sense of how huge and it's expanding and the amount of galaxies and all these billions, trillions, zillions of planets and galaxies and, and stars. And yet all of this is just the glimmer of a ray. We're at the bottom of this glimmer. <laughs> we're, at the, we're at the bottom of the barrel, scraping the bottom of the barrel. So to get from Hashem, to get to Hashem, to our level, so first you have to have Hashem's ray, which is His name, and then even that is too intense, and we have to have the glimmer from, a glimmer of His name. Even His name is transcendent. Even His name is too high for us. It's too transcendent for us. It's too powerful for us. It eludes us. And then we get a glimmer of a ray, and even that has to go level after level after level until it reaches a level that we can absorb, we can receive, we can appreciate and internalize. This class is part of the Lessons in Tanya project. More classes available at LessonsInTanya.com.